Welcome to a brand new episode of Tips with Salsa, top tips and tales from the nonprofit community. I'm Ben Lyon with Salsa Labs, and thanks for joining us today. On today's episode, Craig Grella from Salsa is going to be spending a little time with Michelle Pagano-Heck over at Nonprofit Talent. So Craig, I know you're going to get into the weeds during this segment, but uh, just give us a sketch, you know, who is Michelle? What does Nonprofit Talent do? You know, maybe a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, Michelle is the president and owner of Nonprofit Talent. So they're a executive search firm specifically for nonprofits. So she and her group there help nonprofits grow and staff up with really good people. And then they put strategies in place to make sure that those people are successful in whatever their roles are. There are a few core concepts that listeners will get from this episode. You're going to learn a few things that nonprofits do to grow and what they do, sometimes unwittingly, that can actually prevent growth. You'll learn when it makes sense to start an executive search and what that process entails. You'll learn how to go beyond just filling job positions with some of the things that you can do after the person is hired that will make them successful in their role. And then finally, we cap off the discussion on diversity in the workplace and what organizations can do to be more inclusive in their hiring practices. Cool. It sounds like there's a lot there. So uh, let's get to it. So today we're going to be discussing the importance of having good people at your nonprofit. Anyone who's managed a nonprofit or who's been a board member knows it's hard to find great employees and it's often harder to keep them. Unfortunately, that's the case whether you're a mom and pop shop or a hundred million dollar a year operation. Uh, smaller nonprofits that find stable funding need to grow from a place where the exec director wears too many hats and does literally everything to one where she's focused on getting back to the good work she started the nonprofit for in the first place. Larger nonprofits look to create specialized positions to help specific programs grow. And just about every organization now is trying to figure out whether this remote thing is here to stay or whether we'll actually be back in our offices someday. So today we are joined by Michelle Pagano-Heck, who is going to give us some tips on finding good people and helping them succeed in their role with your organization. Michelle is the president and owner of Nonprofit Talent, a leading nonprofit executive search firm. She has served in various nonprofit executive roles. She is a Pittsburgh Woman of Influence Award recipient, a board member of the Pennsylvania Association of Nonprofits, and a guest lecturer at the University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon, and various other associations and organizations. Michelle, welcome to Tips with Salsa. Hey, thank you, Craig. I'm, uh, it's uh, a pleasure to be here today talking about um, my passion, certainly in that of my company, which is talent management, everything from the hiring process um, to ensure that you're hiring the best people, but also retaining and how to retain the best people for your organization. Yes, keeping them, hiring them and keeping them, super important. Well, it's uh, a pleasure to have you and, and thank you for joining us. So, uh, tell us, maybe let's start with a little bit about nonprofit talent. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what nonprofit uh, talent does. Sure. Um, nonprofit talent is an executive search firm that is dedicated to the nonprofit sector. So there's executive search firms that 
um, specialize in various industries. So there's search firms for just law firms and there's search firms for just accounting firms. Um, ours is specific to the nonprofit sector. Um, part of that is because that's where personally my passion is. I do not come out of an HR background. I come out of the nonprofit uh, sector as a previous executive. I started out as a fundraiser and an executive director for 20 years. And um, my passion is really around organizational development. And what I saw was that during the lifespan of an organization, uh, the hiring needs and then the retention and the overall talent management is such a critical aspect. Um, that I started doing this work about 17 years ago under the moniker of, at the time, Dewey and Kay. Dewey and Kay is no longer, and so at the time, my partner and I, uh, Todd Owens, eight years ago, started Nonprofit Talent. Um, he departed the firm three years ago. At that point, we became a woman-owned and woman-operated executive search firm. And um, we ex expanded our team as well as some of the services that we offer to include a little bit more emphasis on the leadership retention piece and not just the executive search, which is still primarily our um, our number one focus. But we also now do services for the nonprofit sector that helps to keep talent. And so um, that is, that's who we are. We, we work regionally, but our candidates and we recruit nationally. Great. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned being a woman owned firm because I, I, I want to ask you a little bit about diversity in, in the workforce um, and, and uh, hiring and going to hiring for that. But we'll maybe come to that in a little bit. You mentioned something about your, your experience with organizational development and, and really across kind of the life cycle of all the different things. It sounds like you have experience literally in every area of nonprofits, which I think is really important for someone that is helping people find other good people. What are some of the things that, that you've seen that nonprofits do that really help them grow? Right, I think, um, so, a growth strategy requires an organization to have some um, tolerance for risk. Um, and what we see for organizations that are most successful in terms of their growth strategy is that it comes first from the board of directors, that their board embraces um, taking risk. Um, because, you know, nothing in life, whether it's personal or professional, sort of nothing really exciting or good or big happens if you're not willing to step outside of your comfort zone to some degree. Um, and so we see that if boards, first of all, are, are ready to grow and are supportive of the executive team um, in making decisions that might be considered somewhat risky, um, then then their opportunities for expansion are, I think, are far greater. And then the executive team really taking it from there, and that's the executive director. And typically, that might be in a larger organization, a program person, a fundraising person, um, an operations person, HR, finance. Those that team together, um, looking for opportunities for growth um, that are um, 
first and, and foremost programmatic because that's where they will most likely find funding and then once they're able to expand programmatically with funding they are able to add staff and include salary um, and benefits and the costs that come with extending um, their staffing structure so to me it sort of goes board executive team program and then staff to meet it okay so it's kind of interesting i mean you you mentioned having a board and executive team that are tolerant, I guess, to a certain amount of risks. Have you, where do, where do organizations run into trouble? I mean, it, would it really be a risk averse board? Is it a board that, that just has no risk tolerance and, and kind of pushes down attempts to expand? I mean, is that where, is that where organizations go wrong? Well, I think, I think what, what, can can limit an organization's ability isn't even necessarily the people involved but it's what their funding looks like so if they if an organization has an incredibly narrow and strict um revenue uh, and and uh, uh, funding sources so for example some organizations are only uh, funded by two or three sources, a government contract, a, a foundation, that, that is very limiting in what they, are, what they are able to do, both in terms of program, but also in terms of staffing, because there's very strict um, definitions to what, how that money can be used. The more diverse the revenue streams are, so that the more there is a, a contributed income, but also earned income for the organization, the more flexibility that gives to the board, but also to the executive team to um, to branch out and to, to feel out what different programming might look like because they have the financial wherewithal and strength to be able to do that. It's, um, it's interesting on the revenue front, right? Because it's almost like any company, you know, investing, kind of diversify your portfolio, diversify your investing. That way you're not, you're not relying on any one source because if that one source goes away, then you're in trouble. Um, exactly. And I, I think, you know, maybe uh, some companies have seen that uh, exact thing happen in the, in the past year or so. Is, is there a number in your experience or is there a revenue level where smaller nonprofits, maybe ones where, like I mentioned before, the executive director is wearing every hat and they're doing everything. Is there a revenue number where it typically makes sense or that you see nonprofits going from uh, that, the smaller shops into the bigger shops is starting to think about executive search, talent hiring, things like that? Um, you know, in general, um, especially in, um, in, in the community, in the local community, but also just, you know, even nationally, 85, more than 85% of nonprofits have under a million dollars in revenue. So that means because a lot of people start nonprofits from their heart and from their um, from a personal experience, from mission drive. And so that uh, there's there's so many organizations that are like, you know, even under one hundred thousand dollars in revenue and everybody that's running it is a volunteer. So, you know, under a million dollars um, is is. Uh, very much a viable organization. It's not to say that there, that there's not a place for those organizations, but their staffing structures tend to be smaller. Um, the salaries tend to be less. 
um, you know, so that you might get an executive director that's making seventy-five or eighty thousand um, dollars, and then you know you can extrapolate what other staff are making based on that when you're under a million dollars. When we see an organization kind of take that bump up to one to five million, that is where um, at that point, first of all, the salary for the executive director can take a bump up to over a hundred thousand or a hundred thousand or more. Um, and and at that point, um, when there's that kind of growth, we we often see that the uh, a board of directors will solicit help from an executive search firm in the hiring of their executive director because the salary warrants it, because the need of the organization is now larger, and uh, uh, there may be. Um, sort of a deeper set of skills that are needed for leadership. And so the board looks to outside help to be able to guide them and help them. So it's at one to five million. And then certainly then it's like the five million to 20 million. Um, and then you've got nonprofits like healthcare systems and um, higher education institutions that are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that still fall under the nonprofit um uh, category because keep in mind, you know, nonprofit is only a tax status. That's all it is. That's, you know, everything else about it is technically, you know, a business and how it's run and, and how the revenue is spent, um, et cetera. So um, we see it from a million under, one to five million, five to 10, and then the really big. You know, it's funny because we, we talk about um, fundraising strategies a lot, right? In the nonprofit world, there's a lot of focus put on fundraising strategies. And I tell nonprofits all the time, you know, there's a reason you do corporate paperwork before, before you file your nonprofit status. You, you still have to be run as a business and you need to understand kind of the basic tenets of, of the business philosophies of revenue in and revenue out. And I, I think um, maybe that's lost on, on some people um, that start those kind of garage nonprofits um, and don't get to the point maybe where they grow, not for a lack of doing good work, uh, there's a lot of nonprofits out there that do good work um, that just don't figure out the financials, and it's it's um, it's really too bad. Well, and I would actually posit that running a nonprofit is is harder than running a a business. And and I have this conversation oftentimes with um, private sector executives who are interested in making a transition to lead a nonprofit. And there is an, an assumption, I have no idea why, um, but there's an assumption that running a nonprofit is somehow easier than running a private um, industry or a private company. And the reality is exactly the opposite. In a nonprofit, you have all of the same expectations of running a business in terms of financial success, financial output, revenue generation, controlling expenses, managing your staff. It's all the same as running a private business. But then you also have on the added layer of financial stress of being able to fundraise and make sure that you're getting money from varied sources, different from private sector, which might be just a sales model. Um, and then you would also have the added, um, it's called the double bottom line, which is adhering to your mission. So you can't just go out and, you know, develop a new service line. Um, you have to stay within um, the very defined mission of an organization um, and always be meeting those needs of the people or um, community served by that nonprofit. So to some extent, I think it's actually a tougher gig uh, to run a nonprofit than a private than a private industry. 
Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, the way you explain it, there's definitely a lot going on and a lot to think about. And it is tough. And it's, it's you know, if you, like you said, if you're a, a, a corporate type of structure, a for-profit structure, you create a new product, you see how it goes, and then you've got that income. It's a lot tougher in the nonprofit world where you don't have those options. Assuming um, an organization gets to the point where uh, they have maybe that stable funding, they have a little bit of a diversified um, funding sources, uh, and they're thinking, hey, we're at the point where we need to expand. And, or maybe like you said, the board has said, hey, we're gonna do this search for an executive. They're at that point. What should nonprofits look for when they're thinking about expanding? What, what should they be thinking about? What should they be asking about? Or is there research that they can do when they start to work with a firm like yours? Sure. So, you know, our firm, there's, there's, there are several circumstances that I think it really makes sense for a, 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 a board to hire an executive search firm. And typically there's, there's sort of two categories. If the executive director or CEO is the position that needs to be hired, then it's the board that would retain executive search. If it is a C-suite or a vice president level, then it's the executive director or the CEO that would retain executive search and they're responsible for doing the hiring. So, um, you know, in general, I think that it, it makes sense. There's a couple instances. First, what we're seeing in the landscape is that a number of executives, long and strong executives, are retiring. Um, you know, they've come through COVID. They've assured that their organization is stable um, and it is sort of recovering from the trauma of the last year. Um, and they're ready to retire. They may have been ready to retire just as COVID struck, but they stuck it out, right? So now they're retiring. And it makes a lot of sense for a board to consider executive search when there is a long and strong departure. When somebody has been with an organization 10, 15, 20, 40 years, that's a very um, uh, difficult culture to replicate. So there will be a lot of people in the community that associate a particular name with that nonprofit the organization has not undergone any kind of change. It's difficult to change. Um, so in those instances, I think it makes a lot of sense for a board to consider an executive search firm because um, a firm like ours understands the nuanced cultural aspects of replacing a long and strong executive. Another, The other um, time I think that it makes sense to use search is um, if there's a, a dramatic change in the role. So as you said, if the organization is now grown from an executive director that was you know, sort of part-time or even if it was full-time, but it had limited um, uh, scope, and now there's a, an influx of money and program and you need a much larger leader in that role, um, our firm helps to define the role. So it's not just, you know, come in and, and find somebody, but we can work cooperatively with a board to look at what is it that you need in five years to be successful in this organization and help them to define that. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. And then it also makes sense to hire um, executive search, I think, when it's a crisis situation. So when there was a sudden departure, either unwanted or um, you know, a little bit chaotic of an executive, either by their own choice or by the board's choice. Um, and the organization has um, 
just suffered a little bit of a crisis, we can help to sort of mitigate some of the trauma that comes with that as well and work with staff and work with the board to ensure that um, people are feeling um, safe and, and trusted within the organization in the hiring of their next executive. Yeah. One thing you you mentioned in, in terms of kind of setting that process and helping helping the nonprofit understand the role, oftentimes we'll see, not necessarily the job boards, but I, I, I see a lot of nonprofits place job descriptions or, or smaller job descriptions on some of the, the standard job boards. And, and I look at them and I think, wow, that's really thin. And I wonder how much the organization has actually thought about that role and what that person would do. And then sometimes you, you hear horror stories of, you know, uh, someone that gets hired for a role, they're really excited. And then it's like, you know, they, they sit in their new desk, they get a pat on the bat and it's like, okay, buddy, have a good time now, you know, good luck. Um, it almost feels like maybe there's no thought or, or not that there's no thought, but maybe there's not as much thought to how do we make that person successful in their role after we hire them? And is there a process in place to help that person be successful? Um, Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and, and some things that, that nonprofits can do. Because so, sometimes I feel so much energy and emphasis is placed on let's find the right person to fill this role that it's almost an afterthought what that person or what that organization can do to make sure that person is, is successful. Well, I think I'm, on the front end, you know, I think that um, we as we as a sector in terms of nonprofits need to do a much better job in terms of a job description. And we don't even use the term job description, you know, sort of the old school job descriptions were things like, you know, must be able to lift 50 pounds, need to be able to sit for six hours. It doesn't really tell you anything about the organization or anything about the job. So we are big proponents of of what we call position profiles. And, um, and, and, and an organization does not need to retain executive search um, to, to do this and to do it really well. It's a marketing piece. What, what an organization does internally in terms of their HR and what they need for a job description, that's fine. But what they put out into the community, they should be viewing it as a marketing piece. And so it should always include a very robust description of the organization. I mean, there's a, no, a number of positions that you'll see that it says, Hiring for Organization X, a director of HR, and then they never describe what Organization X does. So spend some time really promoting your mission because you want people to work for you who feel deeply about what it is you do. So like so, a culture, like almost yeah. describing the culture of the organization. Exactly. Describe the organization, who you serve, how, why you do the work that you do, what your culture is, what the expectations are. And then in terms of actually describing the role, it should be outcomes based. It should be in this role, um, the, the, you know, it, it could be the executive director will be expected to complete an organizational assessment in the first six months of the position so that both the, the hiring board and the person coming into the position understands this is, we told you right up front, this is what we expected from you and this is what we wanted. So it's a very outcomes-based document. And then once somebody is hired, where I think 
again, as, as a sector, we need to do a lot better. And certainly in hiring executive search and, and nonprofit talent, we do this. We provide onboarding for new executive directors, an onboarding plan. We help a search committee to become now what is called the transition committee. And for 18 months, we tell them, you need to stick solidly by the side of this new executive director. And if it's a um, if it's another position within the organization, then we work with the executive director to say, you need to do the following things with this with this role. And it's things like inviting them to every meeting that you go to, get them out into the community, understand, let them um, have one-on-one -on -one meetings with internal staff so that they know, you know, they're getting to know people, particularly in this environment of remote work. Um, it takes even more effort, but it's completely doable. We've, we've completed 13 searches from beginning to end completely virtually. Nobody has met each other. Um, but we, we, we can see how, um, important it is for people to make those connections, even if it's just virtually, so that a board, when hiring an executive director, your job is not done. Once you get a signed letter of agreement, it's really only beginning because at that point you need to ensure um, that you're checking in regularly. Oftentimes those early problems are simply a matter of communication. It could be an executive director saying, you know, I have a board that calls me six times a day. I can't get any work done because they just keep calling me every all the time. That's easy to solve. Right. We, so so we can get in there and say, hey, board, you need to you, you need to step back a little bit or you need to step it up a little bit, whatever, whatever the case may be. But that onboarding process um, is not something to be taken lightly and should be um, very organized and very specific. One of the things you mentioned earlier, and I, I know you get very involved, uh, diversity, inclusion in the workplace, certainly in the nonprofit workplace, and um, it's a topic that we hear a lot now. Uh, it's a topic that, that larger organizations are, are uh, making more public, how they do it, how they include diversity uh, in the workplace. I, I think sometimes that is very program uh, heavy or program focused. Um, but when we talk about real diversity and inclusion in the workplace, it, it really starts at the hiring process, doesn't it? I mean, if, if, if you want to not just talk about a, an individual program, an individual service, if, uh, service, if you are dedicated to that, it, it comes down to the staff and the people who you have creating those programs and services and literally working for you. How, what are maybe some things that, uh, nonprofits can do to make sure that they have a diverse workforce? Or, or is it really just in including that in a job search? I mean, I guess the question I'm asking is, what does it look like? What does an inclusive job search look like? What are the things that, that people need to think about if that's something they want to do? Sure. You know, so I think before an organization even puts together a position profile or even starts to think about the hiring process, there's a lot of work that they have to do internally and a lot of questions that they have to ask themselves internally. Diversity really starts, um, the executive director is sort of the last in the process, believe it or not. It should be diversity first in the board of directors, right? The board is the governing um, body, and that is the the board should be representing the community at large. And if 
there should be a commitment to diversity at the board first, then from in terms of frontline staff and people directly doing the work, and then the executive director. Prior to even that, though, the question to ask is, what does diversity mean to an organization? You know, diversity is a very broad and general term. For some organizations, diversity means um, we need we need to have um, a certain percentage or not even percentage, but we need to have more African-Americans involved in our mission. It's part of the community that we serve. Um, it is, we, we lack representation in that and we need to do a better job. For some organizations, it's LGBTQ. For some, it's women. For some, so, so there has to be a very honest and um, direct conversation internally with what does diversity mean and why? Why do you want to have a diverse staff? If it's because it, you know, it just, it looks good, that is not good enough. You know, you, you have to have a clear understanding organizationally that bringing in people of color and LGBTQ and women and other um, oftentimes disenfranchised um, populations, it brings a richness to your community. It brings diversity of opinion. And you have, to, you have to understand all those things before you just go out and say, hey, we need to hire an African-American in the next position that we do. Nobody wants to take that job if that's the way you're doing it. So it's first a lot of internal work. And then when you're taking that position out, it's so much about the language that you use in a, in a, in a position profile. Language means a lot, and, and people can read between the lines in terms of inclusivity. So, for example, things like, you know, job descriptions old school have always said, like, um, bachelor's required, master's preferred. Well, when we come in, I, why? Why, why, is, why are you requiring a bachelor's, and why do you prefer a master's? And nine out of ten times, people can't answer that question. Well, educational parameters are not inclusive. We know for a fact that women tend to apply for jobs that they only make meet like 10 out of the 10 requirements. Whereas men will, will apply if they meet like four because they're like, I'll throw in, I'm good. So we also know that people of color are looking for language that is incredibly inclusive. And so how you speak in the written word of a position profile can really make a difference in how you recruit. And then once you have that, recruiting beyond the typical. So recruiting beyond, like, I'm just going to stick this up on a job board and see what I get. You know, being creative, whether that's um, looking at different communities of faith and, and letting certain churches um, know that in certain communities, hey, we're hiring this position and we'd like you to be able to promote that. It could be looking at um, historically black colleges and university graduates. And if you're looking to, to recruit uh, primarily African-Americans. Um, so it is about looking beyond and being creative and ensuring that you're getting that profile into the community deeply and varied and not just the typical. It's interesting what you said before about in your profiles, making them outcomes based, right? Because I think while a certain degree or an advanced degree gives you an understanding that someone has certain knowledge, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to achieve a certain outcome. And it also doesn't mean that someone without that uh, advanced degree couldn't achieve that outcome. So by making your, your profiles, as you call them, 
outcomes-based, someone who has that ability and, and understands this is what I need to do. Not that I just need to have a certain degree, but I need to bring about this result or do this thing. And as long as the capabilities are there, um, that seems like a smarter way to approach, especially when you know that's what you need done. That, exactly. Now, you know, in the case where there is a, um, a licensing issue or any kind of compliance and therefore, you know, there there's plenty of, you know, um, organizations that require a, uh, you know, a, a certification and that then that's fine. But in general, when it is a generalist sort of role to me, you know, using language like education uh, background that is consistent with what is needed for this position. Right. And just leaving it like that, um, it, it just it, it casts the net far wider. Yeah, it's almost a, a simple shift in the communication. Right. Yeah, that makes a big difference. So well, it's great. Um, well, this has been uh, this has been great. Uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate um, your your insight into this. Thank you for sharing all these tips. Um, I I want to let people know where they can find you. So maybe tell us you know where they can find nonprofit talent online and how they would get a hold of you if, if they're in the need of, of executive search. Sure. So um, our website is nonprofittalent.com. Pretty, pretty simple. Um, there's actually two lines of business that you find when you get there. One is our executive search. And certainly we are happy to have a conversation with anybody. Um, we are not believers that everybody needs executive search. So um, we're happy to have a conversation. And in the event that an executive search is not appropriate for your hiring needs, we have a second line of business, which is our job board, um, which is a really nominal fee to be able to post a position um, with just other nonprofit jobs. And we know that people in the community are regularly looking there for um, jobs. And the feedback that we get is that the level of talent of the candidates that people find from our job board is really strong. So they can, they can look there for both of our services. Um, and then four times a year, we also do a program called the Good Ideas Forum where we bring in, we when it's not a pandemic, <laughs> we bring in a national speaker um, and um, really invite the nonprofit community to gather in knowledge and in thought leadership. Um, and so we hope to be able to bring a new program to the community in this, this fall. So people should be watching for that as well. That's great. Well, we'll make sure people check back in and, and take a look for that program. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. It's It's been a pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Um, and thank you. And thank you to Salsa for making sure that you are um, really digging deep into the nonprofit community and, and bringing information that I think is incredibly valuable. So thank you. All right, Craig, great stuff in there. Uh, I, th I think in a lot of ways, you know, when you talk about recruiting talent, retaining talent, uh, maximizing the effectiveness of talent. Those are concepts that people don't formalize plans around nearly enough. Uh, what would you say our audience is going to walk away uh, with from today's episode? That's exactly right, Ben. So much time and effort are spent on the tactics we use to fundraise, create content, do social media, etc. And so little time is actually spent thinking about the people who actually do those things for us. So it was really nice to speak with Michelle from Nonprofit Talent about finding good people and, more importantly, 
actually keeping them there and setting them up for success in their jobs. Right, right. Fill in the talent gap, Craig. Well, that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you'd like to learn more about our friends at Nonprofit Talent, check them out at www.nonprofittalent.com. And as always, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Salsa and how we are helping our clients engage and change the world with smart engagement tools, visit us at salsalabs.com. See you next time on Tips with Salsa.